All right, this is our, our first lesson on the four stages of Christian growth. And this was actually originally just one lesson, the four stages. Actually, it was one third of one lesson. And uh, it was so good and so, I think, timely, we decided to expand it and make it, actually, it's going to be five lessons on the four stages of Christian growth. And our first lesson is just an introduction. So we're calling this one, Christians are expected to grow. A lot of Christians don't realize that they should be growing with Jesus Christ. And so because of that, they never advance. And that's one thing we're really big on around here is that we're always advancing, we're always growing. In high school, we had powerlifting. They called it bigger, faster, stronger. You can never be big enough. You can never be fast enough. You can never be strong enough. Even with the Olympics going on right now, they're all shooting to break world records. Well, last year, or four years ago, they broke world records, but that wasn't good enough. And now they're shaving off tenths of seconds and thousands of seconds just to do it. And that, the world does that. And there's nothing wrong with getting better, but how come the world does it and the church stinks at it? We think we got saved and so that's just good enough. Or we think, you know what, I'm saved. Who cares about some insecurity in my life? Who cares about a little bit of anger in my life? Who cares about a little bit of laziness in my life? When we get born again, that's just the beginning. And we're going to prove to you from the scriptures that both Jesus and the epistles expect growth out of us as Christians. The next four lessons after this, we'll take each lesson, we'll cover one stage of Christian growth. There's infanthood stage according to the New Testament. There's little child stage according to the New Testament. Then there's young men stage according to the New Testament. Then there's fatherhood or motherhood in the faith. And so what we're going to look at is today why we need to grow and what the Bible says. So let's look at our lesson here. As a born-again child of God, Jesus Christ expects us to grow, develop, and mature. We are not called to remain on the same spiritual level year in and year out our entire life. Just as a human baby that never develops mentally or physically is considered to have mental or physical retardation, so likewise a Christian that never develops beyond their born-again experience can be considered to be spiritually retarded in their growth. That's what the word retard means or retardant, to be stunted. You have fire retardant clothing. It resists the fire. And when you have spiritual retardant Christians, they resist spiritual growth. And there are unfortunately many Christians that resist spiritual growth. Going back to gym class, you always had kids that resisted the mile run. That was the thing we dreaded all year in middle school. In fact, every year, Coach Pemberton would, would always start off by saying, good news, you don't have to run the mile this year. And we'd say, yay! Bad news is the year changes at Christmas and you'll have to run it next year, which is still the same school year. And we go, boo! Because we resisted it. In that regard, our mile run was retardant. We did not want to run it. And for some reason, we have a lot of Christians in the church that are retardant and they retard and resist growing up in Christ. We don't resist better TVs. We don't resist better fuel economy. We don't resist promotions or raises on the job. We don't resist a college degree when they want to give us one. But when it comes to God, we resist and resist and resist. And it makes no sense to me. But the flesh, uh, it likes to get what it likes to get, and it's going to argue with you every step of the way. In these lessons, we will study the four stages of Christian growth. This lesson will show the importance to keep growing. So let's look at this first section. Jesus expected growth. It is evident from the scriptures that Jesus Christ did not intend for his disciples to enter the kingdom of God at one level and then remain there. Jesus Christ expected growth. Did you know you didn't get saved to stay the same? Jesus expected fruit. Even by that allegory alone or that analogy, fruit, fruit grows. And there's many verses throughout the whole Bible. Time would not and space would not give us 
room to list how many times the Lord refers to us as a vineyard. And a vineyard is something that grows and produces fruit. And how many times we're referred to as his orchard or his husbandry, that means his farm work. And a farm work requires growth and watering and development. Everything, every allegory the Lord uses about us as people is something that expects growth and maturation and stepping up. And so Jesus Christ, we ought to be able to find at least one or two verses where he said something similar to his 12 disciples. So look at this. Jesus rebuked his disciples for an underdeveloped faith. Luke 24, 25. Then he said unto them, this is after his resurrection. He'd been with them three and a half years. Told them almost probably every week, I'm going to die one day and then I'm going to come back. He told them that for three and a half years. And then one day he died and now he's back. Look what he says to them. Then he said to them, O fools, these are his twelve disciples, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How would you like it? Jesus Christ comes back, and the first thing he says is, You stupid fool. The word fool is our equivalent of stupid. You stupid disciples, and stubborn, and slow to believe. He called them slow of heart, not to make fun of mentally handicapped people, but they're slow. And here Jesus is saying, your faith is retarded. We're not using that as a a hateful slur. Your your faith is retarded in its growth. You are slow to believe. Mentally handicapped people are slow to process. They're slow to speak. Even some of their motor skills are slow. And here Jesus, this is not a very huggy statement. He basically said, you slow spiritual retards. Now try to get the American connotation of retard out of your mind. Okay, because I know it's not very PC. But that's what he's saying. You are slow to believe. I've been with you three and a half years. I told you what was going to happen, and you still are in amazement. It almost sounds like he expected them to be much better. Can we, can we see that? He didn't say, you guys are awesome. He didn't say, wow, I'm so proud of you guys. You guys, you're going to change the world. He said, oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? At His resurrection, Jesus rebuked His disciples, even calling them fools for being slow in the development of their faith. What should have been a time of celebration for them became a rough rebuke. They should have been so excited, but they were still scratching their head going, Uh, you think I should get involved with helps ministry? Uh, you think I should be a tither? Uh, you think I should pray every day? That's our equivalent today. Uh, You think maybe I should witness every once in a while? (laughs) I think the Lord's going to say, oh fool. And everybody wants to say Jesus is all lovey and he doesn't judge. In order to call somebody a fool, you have to first cast judgment. And then to say that they're slow and unbelieving of heart, you have to cast judgment. So you got to put aside all the American psychology of who are you to judge. Jesus Christ is very quick to call us fools when we're acting the fool. And slow. And every one of us, we, there are times when we're slow. Even right now, every one of us right here, there's something the Lord's been dealing with us to do. And we're slow of faith to believe Him that we should make those changes. I'm guilty. And we all are. It looks like He expected growth. Uh, Jesus expected His disciples to learn of Him as they walked with Him. And He still does. Here in John 14, 9, Philip says, uh, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you do not know me, Philip? I'm sure Philip thought what he was saying was really spiritual and awesome. He said, Jesus, show us the Father. That's what he said the previous verse. And Jesus says, Have I been with you this long, and you still don't know me? 
That sounds like a rebuke. It sounds like he was expecting Philip to be a little bit further advanced in his Christian walk. I don't think Philip got the response from Jesus he was expecting. I thought maybe he was, he was probably expecting to see the Father. He was probably expecting Jesus to say, Wow, Philip, you're the best disciple I have. No one's ever asked to see the Father. And here you are. You're so hungry for God. You want to see the Father. Jesus looks at him and says, How long have I been with you and you don't know me? I think that'd be Paul's to fall on my knee and say, Lord, if you say I don't know you, then I guess I don't know you, but I thought I did, which means I'm deceived. So Jesus asks this question, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Uh, he that uh, hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? How long have we been with Jesus, and yet he could ask us, Do you not know me? Now maybe not in every area, but in many areas we don't, still don't know God like we should. I remember years ago, probably 1997, there's this Christian reggae band I enjoy a lot called Christ Safari. They're no longer together. But they had this song about uh, my eyes, my eyes, you touch my burning eyes. It's a song about blind Bartimaeus. And uh, he said, you touched me with your a healing hand and, uh, and I wept, who are you, man? Uh, and then he says, he goes on during the bridge of the song to say, I must admit, I don't know who you really are. Could it be you're the son of God? It, and he's singing about blind Bartimaeus getting healed by the son of David. Are you really the son of God? And I used to mock that song in my heart because I thought it was doubt and unbelief. I must admit, I don't know who you really are. So ah, there's no faith in that. And every time that song would come on back in those days, we had the detachable CD with the cable to the tape player that went into your tape deck. This is 97. And then you could just reach over and hit skip in your seat. And one time I was coming up the mountain on the other side, Harriman Rockwood, coming back to Cookville for school. And I went to skip it to go to the next song, and I mocked it. I said, stupid song. And the Lord rebuked me, spoke to me very sternly, and He said, you don't know who I really am. And when He spoke that, I began to sob and weep. It, was, it wasn't a head voice. It was the Holy Ghost. And it so convicted me. I sobbed and sobbed. And I reached over and I hit repeat on that song and hit play. And I listened to that song for the next 45 or 50 minutes. And every time that course would come along, I must admit, I don't know who you really are. I would sob all over again under conviction for my arrogance and me boasting to think as a 20-year-old, I really knew God. And it was just arrogance on my part. But when the Lord says, you don't know me, then guess what? We don't really know him. Now, I know we're born again, but you got to admit, we don't really know who he is. We're, that's what we're here to do. We're here to strive. How can us, finite comprehend infinite it's always going to be a growing process so we ask the question how long have we been with Jesus and yet he could ask do you not know me there's every many areas of our life we just don't know him yet because if we did we wouldn't sin the way we do in those areas we'd have more wisdom we would know how he would handle that all this speaks to ask answer the question we are still supposed to grow right very much so Jesus seemed disappointed with Philip that he hadn't grown any more than he had. Look at another verse there. Uh, when a man sought the disciples to cast the devil out of his son and they could not, he complained to Jesus and Jesus was none too pleased. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples out of the NIV. It's the most brutal in the NIV. You unbelieving generation. That's what he said to his disciples. This is Mark chapter 9, the, the father with the lunatic boy. At this time, Jesus, Peter and John, 
and James are up on the mountaintop during the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up there talking to Moses and Elijah. And in the meantime, the rest of the disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain. And they're bringing, this father brings to them this lunatic boy and says, please cast the devil out of him. And they could not. And when Jesus comes down, he sees them arguing and the Pharisees arguing with the disciples. And he says, what's the problem here? And the father says, I ask your disciples to cast the devil out of my boy. And they could not. And that's when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you unbelieving generation. Ouch. I guess if it were me, I was wished I was up on that mountain with him. But they got rebuked up on the mountain, too. Jesus was always rebuking his disciples because he expected better out of them. And he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? Ouch. How long shall I put up with you? Double ouch. Bring the boy to me. Basically, you're not good enough yet. You hadn't developed your faith in that. Bring them to me. I'll do it for you. But this doesn't sound like a buddy hug time. <laughs> he, he was frustrated that they couldn't do it. Does that, does that sound like he's excited and proud of them? Like they just won first prize at the science fair? I like the NIV because it puts it pretty raw. You unbelieving generation, my disciples, <laughs> how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus was frustrated. And don't forget, you can't frustrate Jesus. Paul said in Galatians 2, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And even the Lord says in the Old Testament, with that generation, I was very wroth and put out with them. We can frustrate God. And we just need to be mindful of that. Jesus was frustrated that he had been with them for so long and they still hadn't developed their faith. His biggest complaint was their unbelieving condition. Has your faith grown in the last year? That's what we ask. How about you? Has your faith grown? Have you taken advances? We're not saying you can run a marathon in the faith yet, but can you at least speed walk a mile? Whereas a year ago, maybe you could only crawl. That's what we have to be asking ourselves because Jesus, in these examples, from the way He's speaking, you can tell He's expecting that if His disciples are with Him, they should be growing. And His disciples are living with Him every day for three and a half years. They should be getting better and when these situations happen, the Lord Jesus is a little frustrated. That's not the only time He rebukes him and says, You unbelieving, how long will I be with you? He says that many, many, many times. His biggest complaint was their unbelieving condition. And that's what we have to be mindful of. We have to make sure our faith is always growing. And the way we do that is by feeding on the Bible as much as possible. I don't think it's too much to ask that we feed on the Bible every day. Can you guys check your text messages every day? It would almost be interesting that maybe there's an app for it where you text and, or excuse me, time yourself and culminate, see how much time you spend on texting each day. Because I bet it's an hour checking and replying. And then we won't even touch Facebook. How much time are you spending on that versus how much time you're spending in the Bible? Because I'm not against texting or Facebook, but which is going to build your faith more? Spending an hour in the Bible or spending an hour on Facebook? That's a gimme. But some, for some reason, flesh likes Facebook a lot better. Flesh likes texting a lot better. It's a lot of work to get in the book for an hour. But that's how we build our faith. If you guys would spend 20 minutes a day in the Bible every day for the next year, you'd be a totally different person in one year. Just reading it, not even studying it. And there's a big difference between reading the Bible and studying it. Just reading it, it would change you every day. Or maybe, like we've said recently in services, maybe you fast something for a week. Maybe you fast Facebook for a week. 
Maybe you throw on Facebook, hey, this is Joel signing off for one week. I'm going to fast Facebook to serve God. You might convict people that read that post. Facebook has become two more has become more important to me than the book. So this is Joel signing off of Facebook for seven days. Catch y'all on the flip side. Or maybe it's, uh, for me, I'm fasting news this week because I, I keep my finger in news. I check all the big news articles or news uh, websites every day. And it was getting to where it just weighs me down. This is CNN, MSNBC, Fox, USA Today, and ChristianPost.com. You check four or five news websites a day, three or four times a day, I'm up to speed, but maybe not with the things of God. So I got to fast it. Otherwise, the Lord's going to say, how long have you been serving me and you haven't grown anything? You know all about current events, but what about I'm, what I'm doing? So we got to grow. Let's look at another example. Jesus expects us to continually learn of him. Just like my daughter, I'm expecting her to make advances. We're, my wife reads the books and the websites. Hey, at eight months, my daughter should be doing this. If she's not doing that, then I'm going to think something's wrong with her. And if you've been born again two years, then there's check posts that you should be at. And if you're not there, something's not wrong. If at eight months my daughter's not sitting up, something's not right. If at, let's say, two years she's not walking and talking, something's not right. And if after you've been born again five years, you're not walking and talking and praying and speaking the word and witnessing, something's not right. So Jesus expects us to continuously learn of him. Uh, learning is a process of growth. Let's look at this verse here. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Every day Jesus is going to tell you, take my yoke and learn of me. So that means every day there's something Jesus wants you to learn from him. Now we might ask the question, what did you learn about Jesus yesterday? Or what did he teach you yesterday? Anything. Yeah, that's, I'm not asking uh, for a hand, but hypothetically, did I learn anything about God yesterday? Did I see something I'd never seen before? Because that verse is applicable to our life every day. There's something God has designed for you to get from Him every day of your life. Not just Sundays and Wednesdays, but absolutely every day. He said, For I am meek and lowly in, my, in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That's kind of interesting. I can testify to this. Reading the news every day does not give rest to my soul. It agitates my soul. Reading the news every day actually puts a little bit of fear in my soul. I recently, just actually this week, had to stop playing a video game I just picked up. Uh, Mr. Brett's going to Africa. He gave me his PS3 and some games, and I was playing Modern Warfare. And it was actually causing me to lose sleep at night. It was actually, I would wake up jittery with taking down that Russian in my mind. And I said, Lord, I see, in fact, it was just the other day, three o'clock in the morning, I woke up, I've been having trouble sleeping two or three nights in a row. And I said, at three o'clock in the morning, I rolled over and I said, yeah, this is that game. There's no rest for my soul here. I said, all right, Lord, I'm done. I'll break it. It's Brett's, but if I break it, I'll break it. If I throw it away, I throw it away. But I'd rather have rest for my soul than go snipe a bunch of Russians or something playing Modern Warfare 2. I'm not against video games, but if it's sucking rest out of your soul, shoot the thing. Not the Russian you've been killing all day and the pit bulls that attack you or whatever. <laughs> you shall find rest unto your souls. If you'll walk with Jesus and grow in Him every day, you'll have continual rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This verse can be applied to our lives every day. Every day there are things we are to learn of Jesus by, by binding ourselves to His yoke. That's something to think about. It's your responsibility. He's not going to enslave you. 
You have to. He's got that yoke on him. You have to come alongside him. We've seen the yoke of oxen and submit unto it. So, all right, Lord Jesus, I'm bound to you where you want to go today. And he takes you over here and you learn of him. But anytime we want, we can unbind ourselves and go do our own thing and lose the rest for our soul. So I gave you just those quick four passages to show you that Jesus is expecting his disciples, that's us, to walk with him and make advancements. We're looking at uh, Jesus expects us to grow. And I have to write that because many Christians aren't interested in growing. We were with a bunch of Christians Saturday night uh, that don't go to this church. And my wife made the observation. She said, you know, they're all good people. But she said, you can pro I can promise you they're all Sunday morning Christians. That's all they are. They're not interested in any more. This is a type of lesson that would really benefit them. Because when you bind yourself to Jesus, one Sunday service is not enough. You want to be here for a prayer meeting because you don't know what God's going to do. You want to come to a Wednesday night teaching because we teach something totally different on Wednesday than we do Sunday night. But when you just have enough of Jesus to be inoculated against Him, ah, I got my, my punch card. I showed up Sunday morning. I'm a good little Christian. I don't fornicate or pornography or smoke pot. I'm all right. No, that's not. When is that good enough? Does your stomach say breakfast is just good enough? No. Uh, does does, does your, your flesh appetite say, hey, I caught the first football game of the season. I'm good the rest of the season. You're like, no, no, no. We play Georgia next week. <laughs> I'm going to be there for that one. Then we got Florida. I'm going to be there for that one. Then we got Vandy. That's a gimme. You got to catch it all. But some, somehow with God, we're just not interested with more of God. So let's look at this. The apostles expected growth. The, the apostles expected the early Christians to grow. So Jesus expected his disciples to grow. Now we're going to look at verses that show that the apostles expected the early church to grow. The epistles do not give us permission to be stagnant or stunted in our Christian growth. Now all that means is we stay the same Christian two days in a row. We stay the same Christian two months in a row. We stay the same Christian two years in a row. My, like I say around here, the Chris McMichael of today has only gotten me this far. And if I'm going to go further, then Chris McMichael has to change. I've got to be a different man tomorrow if I'm going to go further for Jesus. The me of today has only brought me to today. If I'm going to go on, I've got to be better. Paul expected the saints to increase in abound. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And the Lord make you to increase in abound. Notice he doesn't say, and the Lord make you to sit still and be the same. In love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Paul did not give the Thessalonians permission to not increase and abound in the love of God. He said, the Lord God make you. You see that? Make you. That's kind of like you don't get a decision. The Lord going to make you. That's what he's praying. Lord, make Aquila to increase and abound. Lord, make Miss Baidu increase and abound. Lord, make Shayla increase and abound. Lord, make them. When the Lord starts kind of making you, it's like that trash compactor that slowly pushes you forward and you got no option. You can't resist it. He didn't say the Lord permit you to sit and be still and do nothing. He said the Lord make you to increase and abound. We want to increase and abound in everything. Why not God? Why not our wisdom? Why not our knowledge of the scriptures? Why not our prayer time? Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are expected to grow in the glory and power of God in our life. And Paul said, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from poverty to poverty. No. From dumb to dumb. No, no, no. How are we supposed to change? From ignorant to ignant. To, no. 
It says we are to be changed into the same image from glory to glory. I think we can understand that's one level of glory to another level of glory, to another level of glory, to another level of glory. The more we spend time beholding the Lord Jesus in that mirror, which is the Bible, the more we're going to take steps up. Just like when you work out, you're expecting gains. My bench press goes down, something's wrong. If my mile run goes down or up, something's wrong. If I, playing the trumpet, if, if my embouchure, which is our lip control, if I can't hit the notes I used to could hit because I've gotten lazy, something's wrong. I'm expecting gains in every area of life. When the boss gives me a raise, I'm expecting more money, not less. In every area of life, we're expecting gains, but for some reason, Christians aren't interested in spiritual gains or glory gains. Paul said we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we look into the mirror of God's Word, we will be changed from one level of glory to another. Paul clearly taught glory to glory, not same old, same old. So we've got to examine our lives. Where are we changing and where is it just same old, same old? Or better yet, where is the Lord saying enough of that same old, same old? Need more glory. There's some areas that will always be same old, same old. We don't know about them until the Lord shines the light and you say, oh, and the Lord says, yeah, that right there, it's time to come up. Lord, I've never seen that. I know I wasn't concerned about it till now, but now that you see it, it's time to take a step up. The best thing, the, one of the ways you can tell you're a mature Christian is that the Lord is the one dealing with you in private to get these things changed. The preaching doesn't have to convict you so much. You don't have to be rebuked so much. Your boss doesn't have to get on you. Your professor doesn't. The Lord is always on you. When you're immature and yet carnal, like Galatians says, you have to have a tutor walk you by the hand and say, don't do that. Everybody here knows not to touch a hot stove. But there was a time when somebody had to take you by the hand and say, now don't do that. It'll hurt you. When you're mature in Christ, you don't have to have somebody constantly take you by the hand and pop it. You just walk with Christ and He's able to speak to you and teach you. Now, services will always convict us, but one of the ways we can judge ourselves is, are we getting worn out every service? Because if that's the case, we're not walking with Jesus. I think He's dragging us. <laughs> now, there's always going to be something said, but if every service just absolutely rubs you into the ground, you're, you're that child, you're that infant, and it's time to grow up. Paul said we're to grow and not be the same old, same old. Colossians 2.19, our next little section says, The Bible teaches us to increase with the increase of God. Paul said, And some don't hold the head, speaking of Jesus, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. What Paul's talking about there is he said, Some Christians no longer esteem the head, Jesus Christ. And then kind of that verse in the King James is a little complicated. It basically says, That head, the Lord Jesus Christ, causes the whole body, which is knit and joined together, causes that whole body to receive nourishment and to increase, and excuse me, to be knit together and to uh, be increased with the increase of God. So what happens with us as a Christian when we stop esteeming the head of the body, Jesus Christ, as the head, we're no longer knit together with one another. We're no longer receiving nourishment according to this verse. And when we're no longer knit together and we're no longer receiving nourishment, we cannot increase with the increase of God. In order for your muscles to increase, using the body as an example, it has to stay attached. The second you cut a leg off, 
it instantly stops receiving nourishment and it begins to wither. Now we know that you can sever a body part and for a window of time put it on ice and successfully reattach it. And some Christians, they can sever themselves from the body and there's still an opportunity to come back and be reattached. But the longer you stay severed from the body, from the head, you're really drying up to where the devil could end up owning you and really ruining your life. And then it's going to take a miracle to reattach you. God does those miracles, but we don't want to be anywhere close to being severed. That's what he's saying, though. He's basically promising you this. You stay knit together. You stay connected to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. You keep receiving nourishment. You will increase with the increases of God. And I bet God's got bigger increases for us than Putnam County does, than the world system does. I bet the increases of God are pretty big because he knows what an increase is. I think our idea of increase is little, and his idea of increase is a lot bigger. The body of Christ is designed to increase, not shrivel. You cut a hand off, you leave it in the sun, it shrivels up. It's kind of gross. Not that I've seen a shriveled hand before, but I can imagine. We are to thrive, not dry out. If you stay attached to the head, Jesus Christ, you will receive nourishment, you will be knit together with the rest of the body, and you will increase. A lot of Christians, they separate themselves, and it's a painful thing. Any Christian that fails to increase demonstrates that they are not holding fast to Jesus Christ. So as a pastor, and even just as a Christian, when I fellowship with folks, especially outside our church, and they tell me they're a Christian, I can look at them, and I can tell whether they're walking with Jesus Christ or not. I can tell if they're increasing with Jesus Christ or not. I can tell if they have a walk with God. Some just have a said faith. They just talk about it. But talk is cheap, man. I can look at a person and tell you if they walk with God or not. Because you can see increase on them. Just like you can look at somebody and tell them if they, tell if they work out or not. You, know, you talk about, uh, years ago I was in Ryan's Steakhouse when we used to have a Ryan's. And I was in line in front of these really, really big people. Big. And I heard one of them say, oh my God, I'm starving to death. And I looked back and I said, no you're not. You ain't starving. Not to death at all. You probably, it's been an hour since you ate. You can look and tell if somebody's nourished, <laughs> if somebody's increasing. Just like you can tell, uh, you look at uh, somebody who's anorexic and you can say, man, somebody get them a sandwich. Oh, I eat enough. No, you don't. Look at how skinny you are. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm eating enough. No, you're not. I can look at a Christian and you ought to be able to look at your own life. Are you receiving enough nourishment from Jesus? Because when you do, you can tell the difference. I've got flowers on my back deck that are having pots. I can look out there and in an instant I can tell if they're watered enough. It's very easy because they're starting to wilt. I go back out there, I pour water in their little buckets. Within five minutes, they're all back in bloom. You can look at Christians and tell when they're wilting or when they're blossoming. And that's what we want to make sure we do. We're growing, we're blooming, we're blossoming. Uh, we're expected to grow in faith. Romans 1, 16a and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want you to see there that the Bible says the righteousness of God is revealed from one level of faith to another level of faith. When you get born again, all you know is one little baby level of righteousness and faith. But when you walk by faith, according to the verse quoted from Habakkuk, when you walk by faith, then there's another level of faith to be had. And each level of faith you walk in, more of the righteousness of God is revealed to you. You take another step up, and then you take another step up, and then you take another step up. 
We cannot be satisfied with just the level we have right now and even just the level of righteousness we have right now. It says the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel from faith to faith. If you never studied the gospel the rest of your life, there'd be so much you missed out on. But by staying in the gospel and staying in fellowship with Jesus, your faith grows and what you know about God will grow as well. I would be miserable if all I knew was my born-again experience at the age of seven and a half. That'd be sad for me to be 36 years old, or going to be 36, and all I have is a seven-year-old knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a scary thing, but yet some Christians live this way their entire life. The righteousness of God is not revealed to us all at once. We must walk by faith in order to have more of it revealed. It is revealed from one level of faith to the next. It's progressive. As we walk with Jesus, our faith grows, and more of the righteousness of God is revealed to us. Are you at the same level of faith you were at six months ago? That's a hypothetical question. Or has your faith grown? Have you gotten faith to be more faithful? Have you gotten faith to be a tither? Have you started witnessing to more people? Have you pushed yourselves in areas you knew didn't glorify God so that you would glorify God? Have you gotten the victory in any area of your life? We're not called to live defeated. We're called to live in victory, but victory takes work and it takes growth, it takes pushing, it takes advancement, it takes battle. Most Christians, they just want to be like the ostrich that buries their head in the sand when they see the tiger coming. The problem with the ostrich with its head in the sand is that it's rumps in the air. But the ignorant ostrich thinks, hey, I can't see that lion, that lion can't see me, I'm safe. Ouch, what's that on my rump? That's the lion. No, that bird can run faster than anything on the planet just about. It ought to be running or flapping its little wings or something. But you can't just go bury your head in the sand and say, I'm just going to be the same forever. If I close my eyes, everybody disappears and therefore I'm invisible. No, you're all still here. Maybe I'll close my eyes harder and shrug my shoulders. That's, that's children's games. If I hide my eyes, I can't see you and you can't see me. A lot of Christians live that way. Are you at the same level of faith today you were at six months ago? We have to ask ourselves these things. The Apostle Peter commanded the church to continually add things, add the things of God to their life. And the Bible promises it will take diligence. We're looking at the apostles expecting us to grow. This is from 2 Peter verse chapter 1. It says, And besides this, give all diligence. So that means work. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now that's a lot of things. That's eight things you've got to be always adding to your life. Every day you go hit First Peter, Second Peter 1, it's going to tell you the same thing. Joel, what have you added to your life today? Uh, three donuts, five Facebook posts, nine texts, and a nap. All right, that's great, but it's time to add some faith, some virtue, some knowledge. Okay, look at this. It says, for if these things be in you and abound, so it's not enough just to have them in you, but they have to be abounding, they make you. Now, notice not Jesus, but they, the faith, the virtue, the knowledge, the temperance, the patience. If these things be in you, they, what they? These things. These things make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Without these things being in you, you can be barren and unfruitful in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Notice that it means you can't have a lot of knowledge. That means you were raised in church, but it's possible to be barren in that knowledge. It's possible to be unfruitful in that knowledge. You can have fruit trees that never bear any fruit. And they're also called barren. They're not able to flower. But it's an apple tree, but it's never produced apples. It's a pear tree, but it's never produced pears. It's a Christian, but they've never produced any fruit. But they know so much. That's why we cannot be snookered by somebody who seems to quote the Bible so well. We're not interested in Bible quotations. Anybody can get Siri to quote the Bible to them. What we're interested in, fruit. That's what we want to see is fruit. Many Christians around the world don't have a Bible. Therefore, they can't quote you Scripture. But they know God and they have fruit that proves they walk with Jesus Christ. Any old con from prison can spend 10 years quoting the Bible and come out and still be a murderer and a rapist. So we are not suckered by those that can quote the Word. We look for fruit. You got that? Satan himself quoted the Bible to Jesus Christ and Jesus was not snookered by it. He said, get behind me. You cannot be swindled, bamboozled, fleeced, gullied, snickered by quoting Scripture. Blah, 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 yakety, yakety. You can treat, uh, train a parrot to quote the word. What we look for is fruit. Here it says it's possible to be barren and unfruitful in knowledge. I've often told the story in this church about a girl I knew in Indianapolis. She was 14, part of the Assemblies of God, and they had their Bible drill every year. And at the beginning of the Bible drill season, the Assemblies of God do this all over the world for their competitions for the high schoolers. They're given the books of the Bible that they must memorize. And that year, it was Hebrews and Timothy and maybe Philemon. So this 14-year-old memorized all those books. And Hebrews is no slouch. That's a big one. And I was in a Bible study with her. And we had about 20, 20 high schoolers and young folks there when I was in Bible school. And she said, you know what? I could quote you the entire book of Hebrews right now. You could give me a verse, I could tell you the address. You give me an address, I could tell you the verse. I've spent all year memorizing it. She said, but I realized yesterday I don't have a clue what it's even saying. We are not a very smart girl. She's 22 now, I guess. That was eight years ago. Uh, we're not suckered by folks that can quote the Bible. We want to look for fruit. Because you will always find a demon-possessed heathen that can quote the Bible better than you. And they might be able to use it more skillfully than you. But if you look for fruit and you don't find any, walk away. This even goes for Christian friends. No fruit in their life? Walk away. Especially a fruitless Christian that is so adept at handling the Word. They will ruin you. A friend of mine, I don't know why I'm covering this, but a friend of mine, when he first got saved, he didn't know the Bible. When I witnessed to him, he didn't, he'd never heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'd never heard of Daniel in the lion's den because the first time he read the Bible, he was 25. And he started in Genesis, and he'd only gotten through Kings. Those stories in Daniel. So he was reading it like a novel. And after he'd been born again a few weeks, he was telling a friend of his that, uh, that Jesus wants you healed. He'd, he'd heard that in church. It seemed right to him. And this friend who knew the Bible way better than him said, I don't know, man. I don't think God does. I feel like Job. And I think I'm going through a Job experience. And I think God wants me sick. And my friend Andrew said, man, I don't know who this Job guy is. He sounds like he's full of junk. He said, I'm telling you, God wants you healed. He hadn't even read Job yet. Didn't even know who Job was. That, who was this? Who were we talking about? Job. He had the heart of God, though. He didn't know the Bible. And here his friend, who knew the Bible so much better than him, and was using the Bible to negate the will of God. And my friend Andrew, a baby Christian, could see right through it. 
and was not bamboozled by somebody's better knowledge of the Word. In fact, he told him, I don't know who Job is, but this sounds stupid to me. God wants you healed. Let me pray for you and God will heal you. That's baby faith right there. So let us not be suckered by someone who can quote the Bible so eloquently. Who cares? They probably got a devil or something. Peter gives us eight things we are to diligently and continuously add to our lives. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, which is self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and the God kind of love. These verses give, this verse gives the secret to never being barren nor unfruitful in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that secret is grow and keep growing. That's the secret. That's what that verse is saying. You never get to a place where you don't do 2 Peter chapter 1. Every time you look in that Bible, it's going to tell you to add these things to your life. You can be 95 years old like um, Brother Billy Graham, and he's going to look at that verse today, and the Lord's going to tell him to keep adding virtue and faith and knowledge and temperance. You never get to stop till you go to heaven. So let's look at this last section here, and we'll get ready to wrap up. Yesterday's growth does not ensure tomorrow's victory. Just because you grew yesterday and had fruit yesterday doesn't mean you're going to have victory tomorrow. You had fruit yesterday because you were in faith and you were growing and you were watered and fed. But if that stopped yesterday, then today you're drying out. Remember Jesus cursing the fig tree. He cursed the fig tree and the Bible says it began to dry up at its roots, but it still looked good. When they came back the next day, it was all dead. And you can look at a lot of Christians and it looks like they might have some fruit, but if they have cut off the fountain of God and turn off the Word of God in their life, they could already be drying up and it just hasn't reached them yet. Just like in the opposite, when my flowers on my back porch are withered, I add the water. The water is instantly at the roots, but it takes a little bit of time for the water to uh, transfer up through capillary action. Same way if you cut the water off and the dirt dries out, they look like they're blossoming for a season, and then all of a sudden they begin to dry up. We must also be cautious to avoid living off of yesterday's victories. Just because something was all right for your life yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be all right tomorrow. Every day we have to walk with Jesus. I think every one of us, as we've grown in Christ, the Lord has come to us and said, now stop doing this. Really? Lord, how come you didn't tell me yesterday? Because it was tolerable yesterday, but today to go on, it must be stopped. We talked about Sunday morning, Peter being a racist. He did not like the Gentiles, and yet that racism was in him his entire life until Acts chapter 10. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ with bigotry in his heart against the Gentiles. But as long as you're running with Jesus, you're not around too many Gentiles. So it doesn't really come out. But when Jesus goes and you have to do the gospel, you get to be around Gentiles all the time and it starts to come out. And he even raised a couple people from the dead with racism in him. But in Acts 10, the Lord finally says, it's enough. It's time to deal with this. From that day forward, Peter had to deal with bigotry against the Gentiles in his heart, though he was still a mighty apostle. Jesus Christ, while He was on the earth, never dealt with Peter's bigotry. It wasn't time. And likewise, there's things in our life right now that God's not dealing with yet, but as we walk with Him, He'll begin to deal with them. He'll say, all right, now, Joel, it's time to deal with that green shirt. All right, now, Daniel, it's time to deal with that black shirt. All right, uh, Kiki, it's time to deal with that purple shirt. Well, Lord, I, I could wear it yesterday. Yes, but today it must be dealt with. Lord, I could be a bigot yesterday. Yes, but to go on from this point, it must be dealt with. That's why we can't say, well, I've always done it this way. God doesn't care. He said, behold, I'll do a new thing. Not new to him, just new to you. Just because we were on fire, once on fire for God, does not mean we are still are. 
Do not let yesterday's fires blind you to today's shortcomings. Just like you can stare at the light and it kind of burns your eyes and blinds you. Don't stare at yesterday's past fires in your life saying, Ooh, and then look to your future and, oh, it's so bright. No, no, no. Let your eyes adjust and then you'll see it's a barren, desolate wasteland and you need to get on fire for Jesus. If anyone had a right to take it easy, it was the Apostle Paul. Look at Philippians 3. But this is what Paul said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So he said, I haven't got it yet. But this one thing I do count myself. I forget those things that are behind. Even those victories. I forget those things which are behind and reaching forth. That's like plants. That's how they grow. They reach forth towards the sun, towards whatever they're vining towards. I reach forth unto those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was talking about here, we can't ever stop. Plants grow this way. They reach. Plants grow up. They reach for the sun. There's a little thing called heliotropicism where plants will actually turn and follow the sun throughout the day. It's pretty cool that a plant can do that. And you can turn the plant around and tomorrow it will lean the other way. And you can turn it around and it'll keep... You can make plants exercise that way. It just takes all day to do it. Just because we bore fruit yesterday doesn't mean we're going to bear fruit today. We've all seen trees that were once healthy die out. We're that same way if we're not careful. Paul's successes were not good enough to carry him forward. He could not rest on his laurels. 